Where should we go first? Where should we go first? Okay, let's start with this. Let's start with the kids. Okay, so this is my sheep that I've made. Okay, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, when, when we do something bad in our lives, maybe I'll bring this over here. When, when, I've, when, when we've got a problem, you and me, let's start with just you and me. When you and me have got a problem, what does that do to you and what does that do to me? Um, that means I get a consequence, like no, no TV. Yeah, yeah, but what does it mean about our relationship? Yes, yes, you definitely get a consequence, don't you? Yes, okay, good, well done, well done. Okay, but what does it mean? It means that you're sad. Yeah, okay, it means you're sad. What else? There's a there's something that happens between us, isn't there? What happens? There's an argument. There's an annoyance. There's something that's happened, right? Okay, so the way I like to explain it to my kids, if this is my sheep here, and uh, I've got there's something that's happened between us, right? What do I say to you girls? I say that your heart is your heart's a mess. It was a great song by Gotcha, if you ever heard it. It's brilliant. Okay, so let's put a little heart on my little sheep here. This is terrible. Here we go. little heart. If you can see, see my heart on my sheep, I don't know. It's really small. Okay, let's actually say that my heart, as I've put it on the sheep here, I'm actually going to pull this out because it's broken. I've torn myself in part a little bit. You know, I've, I've actually caused a problem. My heart, my heart's not right. My heart's a mess. And actually, this actually gets in the way of my relationship with Jesus, okay? So, let's say I wanted to go on my walk in my life. And this here is my teaching aid that is going to be my life. This is my teaching aid that is my life. This is the conveyor belt of my life, okay? This is heaven. This is where I want to get to. This is relationship with God, okay? Is this cool, kids? You got this so far? Okay, this sheep wants to get into heaven, doesn't he? Okay, so let's put him on the conveyor belt of my life. Okay, now ordinarily, if I had no problems at all, I would be able to get my sheep into heaven. Isn't that cool? Right, okay, so what happens when my heart's a mess? Where did my, where did my messy heart go? Did, I, did it fall on the ground? Oh, it's there. Oh, okay, what happens if my heart gets in the way of my path to God? Each man has turned his own way. Do you reckon I'm going to get into heaven if I have to go over this big lumpy heart? Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Oh, no. My, my heart's a mess. It has caused me problems. I have turned to my own way to try and sort out my problem. And I have broken my heart. And I've, I have not made it, have I? No, I have not made it. Okay, is that a good teaching aid for you guys? Do you get the, what's the message? Don't get in trouble. <laughs> no. <laughs> what's going to heal us is the question. What's going to heal us? What's going to make us whole? Okay. We've got this broken heart. How do we sort ourselves out, stitch ourselves back together, put ourselves back on the, the roller coaster of life that we are on this conveyor so that we can actually get, oh, go to a doctor. Yes, we could go to a doctor so that we can actually get in the bucket and get into heaven. Does that make sense? Good, okay, so that's what I'm talking about, and you guys can keep playing with that. You can send all of your sheep through into heaven if you want, 
And if you want, later on, I'm going to have to squash a couple of people's Play-Dohs so that I can get to the next part, okay? I'm going to show you how that works, okay? But we're going to do that later, okay? Let's see how you go. See if that conveyor belt works for you. If it doesn't, just be gentle with it. Okay. You guys keep playing with that. I'm going to move to the pulpit, I think. Okay, there it is. All right, let's go over here. All right, so we've been going through this whole thing, right, of, of what the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, as he preached it out of Isaiah, might have looked like, okay? We've done, we've done peace, we've done uh, presence, we've done deliverance, we did a little bit of justice last week with compassion coming to visit, now we're down to healing. We're getting to that... Uh, to that almost pointy end of the stick where it's like, okay, um, what, what do each of these things mean and, and how do they actually interrelate? And I don't know if you've noticed, but they all interrelate. Um, so this topic today, healing, it's been, it's, I've found it by taking me on a journey through one of the other core values. Uh, for example, we looked at God's peace and we looked at it by experiencing God's presence as we go through life. We looked at God's presence by looking to the past ways that God had actually delivered or deliverance his, of, of his people. If you go along um, and you're following the newsletter excerpts that I've been sending out through the week with Val's newsletter, um, you would have come to understand, as I have, that this understanding of the kingdom of God, that each of these elements feeds into the other areas and it helps us flesh out and bring fulfillment um, to the person that's experiencing each of these elements. Uh, as a last example, in the last newsletter I sent out, Dorothy read last week in Isaiah 58 during the service, she said, um, Isaiah 58, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice? And once that's done, it says in verse 8, that your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. So there's a link between being just to people and how people find their healing. There's a link, there's an interconnectedness, justice, healing. As we do justly to others, it'll heal the wounds that we cause to each other, the wounds that I might cause to my, my daughter, which means that she can't, or the wounds that she causes me, which means she can't have her TV or she has her consequences, she just told us earlier. But the context, you know, it's, it's this personal understanding, but there's also a broader, a communal understanding that's important. And, and it's all interconnected. This kingdom, as it relates or comes into contact with humanity... It's healing as it relates to the personal, but it's also healing as it relates to our community. Okay, so as we start to look at healing today, we actually start to see the fuller picture of what it was that Jesus was thinking. Presence. Okay, God is with me. Peace. 
Okay, peace only comes as we go through life learning. Justice. Justice only comes in looking after the oppressed and healing. Healing comes out of justice, doing justly with each other, dealing justly with God. Healing, as we see today, might be actually the basis or the grounding point of this entire structure. The, um, the photo on the left here, that is a photo of me on my wedding day. That's my parents. Aren't they good looking? Um, I had the worst cold on my wedding day. I was um, flush and I was unwell. Um, funny that we're talking about healing. But anyway, it was, it was a gross day. That's me looking at my worst on my wedding day. Um, anyway, <coughs> this photo was taken just a few short years before my mother was to become wheelchair-bound uh, in being diagnosed with a degenerative illness uh, similar to multiple sclerosis. Uh, in essence, the part of her brain that controls how she spoke and how she walks um, started shrinking. Okay, if there was a time to pray to God for healing, you would think, oh yeah, that's the time that I'm going to start praying for my mum. But this isn't where my mum's story actually starts. It starts when she was 10. Uh, for those that haven't heard part of my story yet, um, when I was when I was growing up, this is, this is just my existence. But for mum, when she was 10, uh, her eyesight started failing. She became legally blind when she was 15. Um, if you want to know or have an experience of what it is that she sees on a daily basis, you shut your eyes and you can look at the floor. And that is her. Uh, if you look up at the, at the light, it'll take about five seconds for a diffuse light to come through and, and she'll see, oh, there's a light out there somewhere, but no silhouettes, no nothing. That is it. She is... 100%, almost 98% blind, whatever it is. Can't see any distinction. Yep. If you, um, yeah, just ha have a consideration of that. She's never seen her husband, she's never seen her kids, and that is her life. And my mother is 67 now, that's 57 years of disability. Uh, add to that now nearly 20 years of the deteriorating muscles and speech. Uh, she's currently in care in Perth with a health scare every now and again uh, where with each one we perceive that this actually might be it. She could pass into eternity. If not beforehand, by accident, it's very likely that COVID as it comes through will be uh, probably her end. If there was anybody today that I could wish to talk to you about healing about prayer and about Christianity, it is this woman, okay? Don't get me wrong, she has her issues, <laughs> like we all do. Um, but what she has taught me about God and the kingdom of God throughout her life is amazing, just in her character and her response to her disability. And then this comparatively more recent ongoing illness, uh, how she has held herself through these struggles throughout the year is a huge testimony to her own willpower, but yet also a testimony to the graciousness of God. You see, my mother is a Christian. She would call herself a Methodist or a Uniting Churchist or now Baptist. There's a humility in which she walked through life, an availability to go wherever came her way, rolling with the punches. She was never proud or overbearing. She helped in her church for years, leading the service, singing in the choir. And when that was stolen from her by her illness, she helped me and another pastor in the last church that I was at before we came here, she helped plant that church by sitting in the prayer room and praying with the people and agreeing with the people who were praying by simply nodding her head. And that was all that she could do, but that was enough. 
for her. You say, Damo, what does this have to do with healing? She wasn't healed. You said it yourself. She's probably not going to outlast COVID. Okay, very dark. But for me, everything at this point is intertwined, right? All of those hexagons, she's come to peace with her disability because she's walked with it. She's walked through the refining fire. She's found the wisdom that it talks about in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom. All her ways are pleasant. All her paths lead to peace. There's a humility to her life. There's an awareness of God's presence, an awareness of whatever happens, God is also there in the fire. And perhaps most importantly, even though she's blind, in her humility, she's not lost. That idea of deliverance that we went through a couple of weeks ago. Even though she's blind, she's not lost. And so when I hold my mum up as an exemplar of healing now, what I'm saying is that the kingdom of God is truly expressed through her life. She is healed. She is healed. Let's look at how that works. Uh, If you open up your Bibles today, we're unpacking probably one of the most iconic messianic, messianic prophetic scriptures ever. Open up to Isaiah 53, have it sitting in your lap. Um, as I set the context uh, that brings us to healing. Uh, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, I shared on the broader historical context of Isaiah, we had the Israelite people uh, through uh, political and military disagreement. They split into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Southern was the kingdom of Judah. Northern was the kingdom of Israel. They set themselves up with a new capital because they didn't want the people coming down to Judah to the temple that David built to worship there. No, they said, we're going to build our own temple and we're going to make the capital Samaria. So they went on the way up there and they did that. Um, But what it was, was that we talked about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both being lost. They both had problems. The, the, um, the northern kingdom was being ripped into for their lack of good judgment uh, in trying to find the right path forward. Oh, I'll just do it myself. I'll build my own temple, whatever. And then the southern kingdom, uh, they had their own problems as well. They boasted of their piety and their self-justification. Isaiah wheeled on both of them and called them out for their lostness. Both of these kingdoms were both full. Both of them were proud in their own standing. Both had no idea how close they were to ruin. And so we had, on one hand, the northern kingdom that would set up their own place of worship in a capital city called Samaria. They would be a proud people, but blind to their lostness. On the other hand, we had the southern kingdom, also proud, but self-justifying. Think that if they just do enough good things, that'll be enough to restore their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. And so Jesus' rabbi, or teacher of his time, he read about these two kingdoms. And we have evidence of him reading the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4. And you know what? He looked around seven centuries after Isaiah had written his text, and nothing had changed. He saw Pharisees strutting, thinking that their piety would save them. You know, wash the outside of the cup, Matthew 23. He saw priests making it difficult for the poor to connect with God, with all the temple rules and the, the money changing in Matthew 21. Those leaders that he met with and interacted in his ministry continued to live by this southern kingdom's pattern of self-justification. And we see prayers offered like, God, thank you that I'm not like that sinner in Luke 18. And rightly, Jesus got angry. To help them see their folly and their pride, he used this parable of the Good Samaritan, Samaria. 
which we looked at last week. You know, the shame of receiving healing from an enemy, a distant cousin, no less, what the northern kingdom had become. He showed them what true justice would look like through this parable. And that through that justice came healing for the man in the parable. Jesus checked their pride. Check your pride. Jesus stumped their arrogance. Because it was only when someone came to grips with their pride or with their arrogance, Jesus was actually able to bring healing. My mum came to her healing through humility, through her acknowledgement of her situation. And then that wholehearted acceptance that her healing doesn't depend on her merit, but on how she goes through her life, how she approaches the challenges. I heard a podcast recently where Pastor John Mark Comer explained uh, discipleship as formation, spiritual or otherwise. You know, discipleship is formation, right? Spiritual or otherwise. Formation, how we form ourselves. We go through life, we're being formed. Like we grow up, we go to school, we're being formed into the person. We, we get told off by parents, we're being formed, right? And this is all uh, John Mark's idea as he, as he tells me this, or I'm listening to this on the podcast. But basically, he says that as we're being formed, we go through life. He says, you normally run into two types of people. You, you run into the old, as they get older, right? You run into these two types of people. You either run into these people and you go, man, you are such a godly person. I love how godly you are. And you're just such a sweet granny or you're such a great grandpa or whatever. And, you know, and they come in and they say, dear Jesus, save me from my sins. And it's like, dude, you haven't sinned for years, you know, as you look at them, right? But then... You see the other type of people who have been formed in the other way and they're bitter and they're twisted and they haven't been formed in the way that they should have. They've chosen to form themselves rather than looking to God to form them, in a sense. John Mark says, They are being formed, they choose their formation each day. Do I choose a path of trust or do I choose a path of self-dependence? And so for the Israelites up here, they were looking for this path of self-dependence. They were looking for a strong, conquering leader. There was a prideful arrogance to that. And so the thing is that the Israelites were expecting this all-conquering, perfect Messiah. And they were expecting it from within themselves. From about chapter 41, God is starting to call Israel directly God's servant. Israel, you are God's servant from about 41 onwards. And it's this servant that will bring God's peace and justice to the world. Now, that's good. You know, Israel can do that. But they're expecting to do it through war or through conquering Messiah. Isaiah 28, which we read earlier in this series, talks about a figure that will be strong and will be looked at as a source of strength, someone they could be proud of, somebody to hold up as the perfect continuation of this King David figure from earlier down in the southern kingdom, Judah. And even as we come to our passage in Isaiah uh, 53, look one before it at 52. We can see this idea of the perfect conquering servant of God where it says in verse 13, Behold, it says, look here, get this. My servant will succeed. Um, your Bible might have, um, will act wisely. But that means will prosper, will win. It's also worth noting verse 15 as we go past, that kings will go silent. They will shut their mouth. They will come to understand their, apoly, their folly in opposing him. Literally, kings will shut their mouth when faced with the servant of this Lord, the servant of the Lord. And so we can see where this idea comes from. You know, everyone wants to back a winner. Even 
When we were kids, everyone wants to pick the best looking or the tallest person to be on their team. You know, my mum, <laughs> she was never picked. She was never picked. The expectation for a Messiah here planted 700 years before Christ's coming. Those in charge were waiting for a winner. Those Pharisees and zealots were all waiting for a servant of God to stick it to the kings and the surrounding powers, uh, like in verse 15. Even in Christ's own group of disciples, there were zealots who were hopeful for a figurehead to overthrow the Roman occupation and rule. You know, that's what a zealot was. Somebody who would be the arm of God. And we're finally in chapter three, uh, 53. Verse 1, the arm of God. Who wouldn't want the arm of God on their football team? It's strange how the rest of Isaiah 53 turns out. It turns very quickly from talking about a nation as the servant to actually a very specific person. And the type of person, well, let's keep reading. That person, that person won't be the best looking. That person won't be picked to play. That person won't be rich or come from strong stock. It's very easy for the Israelites to actually miss the opportunity to humble themselves at this point. It's easy for them even now to continue to ascribe these words to a holocaust or a continuing war. Still looking at prideful eyes all these years later to choose, um, you know, some choose to ignore these words. Let's continue to read 53. You know, unless we humble, unless we metanoia, you know, change our minds, we're never going to see these words with their true prophetic intent. So we're no longer talking about a nation. We're talking about a Messiah, a specific person. And this person, he, will grow up before him. You know, who is he? He is the person, Jesus, will grow up before him, Yahweh, the Lord, whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. He, Jesus, grew up before him, Yahweh, like a tender shoot. Like a tender shoot, growing up without power, perhaps unaware of his powers till his baptism, I was thinking that maybe it would be his first miracle at Garden of Gethsemane where he faced down the full burden of sin of the world. But actually, no, he's, he got dragged out into the desert and faced with the, with the devil and he got asked, if I give you all of this, and he says, no, no, I'm God's. And so it is. He grew up without the power. Maybe he came aware of his power at his baptism when the Spirit of God alighted on him like a dove. But anyway, like a root out of dry ground, continuing on in 53, there's something different about this kid. What sort of root grows when it's out of the ground? You know, there's a transcendency to this. There's, there's something spiritual going on, but at the same time, he's not coming from any good soil. This is a normal, ordinary kid. And then here's the kicker for those that are looking for the conquering hero. He wasn't good looking. In fact, he was going to be a man whom people would reject and despise? Why would we choose someone who is pained? Why would we choose somebody who is suffering as our champion? If I had a sore leg, would you choose me to go run a 100k sprint or whatever, 100 meter sprint, as your champion for the team? And so here we get to the crux of today's message. Jesus is reading this and he's looking around at the prideful state of his people. You know, the state of the people. If I do or say the right things, then I work my way to a relationship with God. If, I'll, if I do this, then I can gain my relationship. I'll gain peace in my soul by working really hard to do all the good things. Or if I sin, then if I offer up the right sacrifice, then I'll be at peace with God and He'll say it's okay for me to hang out. Have you ever done that, prayed? You know, God, if you do this, I'll, I'll do this forever. I'll be yours. I'll do whatever. I'll give you that. You know, have you bargained? 
with God. No, no, Jesus saw this offering system, the sacrifice system for what it was. You know, he took into consideration the whole of the history of humanity's interaction with God and how they tried to atone for their sins and he called it out for what it was. He called it a flawed system. It was a flawed system. Adam and Eve sinned. God kills a lamb to close them. Egypt, Pharaoh won't let the Israelites go. It's only by the blood of the lamb that the people avoided a plague that killed the Egyptians' firstborn. One access to the temple, sorry, give a sacrifice per the Levitical rules. Uh, Leviticus 17, Hebrews 9, for those that are taking notes. Which say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But Damon, what do you mean it's a flawed system? You know, they would have done that for years, and God was the one who set it up. The first to do it with Adam and Eve, you know. Yeah, but in my readings in Malachi this week, uh, Malachi 1 came up, which talked about how the system would be gamed. You know, they would have the bulls and the lambs with defects be sacrificed while the unblemished ones stayed in circulation. How can we offer a sacrifice that's defective to God and expect to be God to be happy with it? Would you come to church with evil in your heart and expect God to bless you for it? Yeah, the system was flawed. Even the proper prophet Micah got in on the action, asking, can a sheep die for a man? Micah 6. You know, if a man is wounded, if a man has wounded his soul by sinning against God or a fellow man, how could a sheep be sufficient offering? How could a sheep ever match the cost to convey a just and fair reconciliation for that relationship. If, uh, if me and Lexi have a problem, if we have a problem, Lexi, how are we going to sort that problem out? By talking about it before it comes a big deal? So good. Such a good answer. What happens if you stole my pencil? And I came to you and I talked about it. What would be the fair and right response what would, what would make it okay would you give me the pencil back yeah would that make everything okay yeah what about if um what about if actually you punched me while you stole my pencil you don't know what would be a fair and right uh, reparation for Lexi punching me while she stole my pencil. I get to punch her back? What a great idea. Excellent. I, no. Okay. There's a sorry in there, isn't there, right? Sorry, I'm going off my notes. Okay, so i got to get back on my notes. That was a bit of fun. Okay, there's something that has to be made fair, right? There's, there's something that has to be made fair in that process, okay? And so this goes past just a physical sort of healing. What sort of healing are we talking about here? The sorry that we just said. Actually, that's a spiritual healing, isn't it? The type where sin rips at your soul and the only thing that can make it right is renewed relationship, with the other person, or maybe the sin that I've done is against God.
right standing with God. You know, how do you, how do you get back to that? It's the type of healing that actually costs something in the offering. And so this system that the Israelites were, were using, it was put in place to afford Israel this relationship and to be called the servants of God. But for, to, for it to continue, an actual true atonement was necessary, a cost needed to be paid, a true substitution for the sin of the people. Imagine Jesus reading this passage when he's a boy and then, and then maybe when he's older and then when he comes to fully understand it as an adult, you know, Gethsemane. Imagine you're Jesus walking up to John the Baptist, just about to get baptized, and John the Baptist says, Behold, look here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can you imagine what that would do to you as you approached John? We've got to keep going with 53. Notice the he, we, the him, us in 53. What is Isaiah talking about? Why be so emphatic about communal sins? Why then narrow it further to individuals? How poetic is this use, this him, us, us, him, our, we, our, we. The reuse of the words of pain and suffering from verse 3 carry over. And the very things that we rejected him for, the suffering that he had in his leg that stopped him sprinting a hundred meters. Actually, that's our suffering. That's our leg that's been broken off. That's the thing that stopped the, the sheep from falling into the pen before. That's our pain and suffering. As we go through this passage, also notice the words get harsher and harsher. Oh, yeah, you know, he'll take a little pain. Oh, yeah, no big deal. We can deal with a bit of pain. Oh, yeah, a little bit of suffering. I can deal with suffering. Hang on, stricken. Okay, now we're getting more, more in depth here. Stricken is the same word for leprosy. Okay, afflicted, and then pierced. Okay, now we're starting to get painful. Pierced, okay. Crushed by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Okay, hey guys, can I come over here and play again with you guys? Yeah, okay. Now, let's take the Lamb of God. Who's got a lamb that I can crush? Can I crush this lamb? No? Okay, let's make this one here. I'm going to take this blob. Can I take this? Okay, here we go. This is the blob. Now, what have we got? We've got, hang on, it's up here. Okay, so, uh, punished by God, stricken and afflicted. He was pierced. Okay, so, where is my little uh, lamb that I had? He's not here anymore? Okay, that's fine. He's in there? Okay, let's call this one the lamb. Okay, so, uh, and let's call this little green blob my sin. Okay, my sin is sitting here, and it is stopping my lamb from coming on the conveyor belt of life and it's derailing my lamb, and it's coming off. It's causing my lamb to fall off, yes? Fall off my conveyor. Everyone with me over here? Sorry, you can't see this. Okay. Okay. Now, let's say Jesus is right here. He's crushed. Jesus is crushed. Okay. What happens if Jesus is pierced? We're going to pierce. Here we go. This was a big lamb to start with, but now I'm just piercing Okay. Here we go. Pierced. Now, where's my sin? Here you go. Look, see my sin? Jesus pierced. Hang on a second. That's interesting. What do you reckon is going to happen now, guys? If I put Jesus back here in my life with me and I try and run my lamb over the top of Jesus who's been pierced, do you think I'm going to go off course or do you think I'm actually going to get to where I need to go? 
Is this a good idea? Does this make sense? Are you with me? He's actually going to get there, isn't he? Does that make sense? Because Jesus helps flatten out all the problems in my life, yeah? And causes the things that push me off the road to actually not cause me to stumble too greatly, yeah? I'm able to be healed and I'm able to get to where I need to go. You can do it. Take him over the top, yeah? Crushed, pierced. Look at that. Mate, I should be a teacher. That's gold right there. Okay. I think they get it anyway. I hope they do. I hope they do. Okay. Back on my notes. Okay. We can't explain away these small things, you know, the little pain. Okay. We can't explain for ourselves. We can't just say, oh, it was just a little sin. It was just a tiny rebellion. It didn't, it didn't cause pain to anybody else. Uh, it was just for fun I did that thing. That I knew I shouldn't do it. You know, we're all guilty of these little things. Whether it's intentionally by accident, we're all in the same boat. We're all broken away from the ideal Eden. We're all trying to create our own world where we're in, the, in charge. But actually, we're not in charge. Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short. Look what we've done to our Eden. Look around our world. Look where our own attempts have led us. Only a perfect substitute can bridge the gap of our own making, restore our hearts to be in right relationship with God and each other. And Christ Jesus, Christ being the Greek word for Messiah, provided that perfect sacrifice. He was the fulfillment of this scripture. He was the Messiah that had been foretold. He did it by placing his own blood in place of ours to fulfill what was said in Hebrews. He... um, But just like Micah asked, how can a sheep be a suitable replacement? Well, Christ offered himself an unblemished sacrifice in our place. So we're coming to the end, the pointy end here. So what? What are we going to do about this? Jesus in Luke 4, he reads Isaiah 61. He says, I've been appointed, I've been anointed to do this healing, to give sight to the blind, to give my mum a picture of the bigger things of life to set the oppressed free, to tell of the year of the Lord's favor. What are we going to do with this knowledge? What are we going to do with this bigger picture? Communally? You know, personally? What are we going to do with this spiritually? What does metanoia, what does change your mind, as Jesus said when he says, repent and believe? What does it look like for you? What, what does it look like for your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, as you bring the kingdom of God near to them? What would healing look like for them? And how can you be the agent of the Holy Spirit in helping them come to this place of healing? Luke 10 verse 9 tells the story of Jesus sending out the 72 in pairs, his first missionary expedition after seeing how the 12 disciples got on. He gives them power to heal. He actually commands them to, in fact. Luke 10 verse 9, he says, Heal the sick who were there in that town the kingdom, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. For those of us today that are walking steadily with God, how can we as a church enable you to become that healing power? You know, some people actually have the gift of healing, doctors, nurses, so on and so forth. Some people pray for healing and and it actually comes as a miracle. My wife's got a cousin over in Argentina who was healed had glasses, didn't need glasses anymore after being prayed for after a service. 
How can we work with somebody else in the church to bring healing? Maybe by pairs we can go out this week and bring healing to somebody that we know in our community that needs a hug, that needs some emotional support. You know, perhaps it's the other end of thing. Perhaps you're walking in pride and it's actually hindering God from being able to do a work in your life. What do you need to let go of this morning? Christ wants to offer you healing. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're not walking so close to God, I want you to know that the kingdom of God has drawn near to you today. I want to offer you this healing that my mum has, that we have in the name of Jesus. I want you to come and see me or somebody else you connected with in the church, and I want you to say, hey, I want to know more about this healing. I want to know more about this kingdom. Connect in. Let's find the solution together. Let's look after each other. Let's keep growing in knowing God. Let's keep growing in sharing Christ. Let's keep going in this caring for people. That's where healing falls into our vision statement. Yeah? Let's pray together. Lord God, you are the great physician, the great healer. And Lord, we take courage and solace in that. Lord, you are the only one that knows deeply our insides and our thoughts and our mind and our heart. And Lord, we ask you to renew us by your Spirit. Where there is physical ailment, Lord, I pray for healing in that space. Lord, where there is psychological pain, Lord, I pray for healing in that space. Lord, where there is emotional pain, Lord, I pray for healing in that space. For the people in this room, for, the, for everyone that I know that everybody's been thinking of uh, as I've been speaking today. Lord, by your Spirit, do a work in us and in our community, we pray. God, we ask for the sending of your healing Spirit, who came to us through Jesus as he breathed upon his disciples. This Spirit gathered your people to be warmed by the fire of divine presence. By this warmth, May the names of the people that we've already prayed for today be healed and taken into your care. Like the blind man whom Jesus healed, Lord, may those that we're thinking of in our minds right now, Lord, may they become a sign of your glory, calling you to the anointed one, or calling you the anointed one, Lord, the one who anoints us. Lord, may they be a sign of your glory, Lord, help them point to the love of God. Lord, grant us your healing peace. Thank you for the work of the kingdom. Lord, we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.